All right, we're live. Welcome to ParaglidingTalk.com. I'm your host, Robert Michaels. You're joined tonight by Rich Kennedy, uh, Neil, no stranger to the show, and Jessica Frump is standing on launch at Saboba. <laughs> she was going to join us for the full show, but she decided she was going to go speed flying instead. Yep. And I, I told her we're jealous, but the show must go on. And so we don't know what's going to happen with this show, but I think there's going to be some active flying perhaps <laughs> she said that it was really the, the the air was really light and so she was going to do some flying so that's yeah I'm extremely jealous welcome to the show rich is a former skydiving pilot he now flies um, uh, everything that has to do with paragliders so he's uh, savvy and paramotoring and regular paragliding uh, cross-country stuff and speed flying and he's done some training on and trains people how to uh, what do we call it in the snow with skis uh, speed riding speed riding yeah I don't really do much speed riding or much speed riding training but uh, no? no mostly just ground launching I like to make day. stuff up though you know what I mean yeah that's show. good I also had a hang glider for a, for a little while there, so I've had some hang gliding experience too. There you go. That's what I was doing, <laughs> hang glider. Yeah. So um, he's got some great things to offer. We're going to get into some uh, – hey, Sean. Hey, bud. Uh, we're going to get into some um, – we, we talked on the phone while I was driving. By the way, I literally just ran in, logged on, sent out the invites, and boom, we're here. It was like the last second, so we made it. We had some emergency stuff that I had to take care of. Um, so uh, let me give you the floor. Uh, Jessica, whenever you're going to launch or whenever uh, you're going to fly, just uh, we'll, we'll stop the show for a minute to watch because it, it only takes like two seconds for you to fly down to the bottom. Um, and, um, but in the meantime, uh, I want to open up the show by talking about how you got into speed flying and maybe talk a little bit about your accident with uh, skydiving. Yeah, how I got into speed flying, that was uh, was quite a long journey, actually. Because um, it's, you know, it's only been in recent, the, the, the last couple of years where, you know, we've actually really been speed flying, where we've actually had proper speed flying equipment that's really been purpose-built for what we're doing. And kind of before that, people were kind of making stuff up a little bit. But anyway, back in the day, back in uh, 1999, I started skydiving and I skydived for a couple of years had 650 jumps, um, four base jumps off the bridge in uh, Idaho, off the Prine, and uh, smacked myself uh, into the ground pretty hard out in Paris. Um, had an equipment failure, um, which was totally avoidable and, and totally my fault. And uh, unfortunately, in, in skydiving, 650 jumps is, is right smack bang in the middle of intermediate syndrome, uh, which I kind of suffered from badly at the time. And, uh, and that cost me dearly and taught me a very valuable lesson. <laughs> so I so, uh, broke my back, snapped my foot off. Um, they screwed that back on with 21 screws and a couple of plates. And uh, a couple of years later, uh, I went back and jumped again and, and came to the realization that, that didn't really like falling through the air that much. But boy, did I love flying a canopy. <laughs> and then I was out riding my mountain bike one day in the hills around uh, my house here, well, kind of halfway between here and Survivor actually, and uh, saw some guys walking up this hill with big backpacks on and 
launch these huge big things in the air and it was like what's that that's what i want to do i'm going to do that so went out the next week and started learning to paraglide and it's been a, a slippery downhill slope from there i think <laughs> slippery it's it's just a fast one it's just a fast slope that's what it is it is i mean i i just exclusively paraglided for like three four years and then um you know, found that i wasn't getting my fix during winter uh here in socal um so I ended up buying a motor and and started motoring and and motored for a couple of years and and that was really great and had a had a lot of fun because motoring is you know it, it's horizontal proximity flying and i love proximity flying obviously speed flying is a lot of proximity flying and so paramotoring is is just this like horizontal proximity flying where you you're going along at 20 feet above the ground just weaving in and out of the trees and and flying along you know the sides of creeks and stuff like that so yeah i had a really fun time paramotoring uh, talk a little bit. I, I, you mentioned that you had a toggle uh, that came off. Yep. So your yep. your brake line while you were skydiving. Yeah. So in the skydiving world back in those days, um, you you got to understand something about the way skydiving canopies are rigged. They have a brake line that comes down, and then there's a, a short brake line at the end. It's called the lower brake line, um, and that's used to adjust the length of the of the overall brake line. Uh, because on a skydiving harness, when or when you buy a canopy, it doesn't come with risers. Because in the skydiving world, you have your own custom risers that suit the length of your arms. So I had 22-inch risers. You know, my wife had like 19-inch risers on her. So, so the risers go with you, not with the wing, right? So when you get a wing and someone gives you another canopy, it's like you've got to put that, attach that canopy to your risers, right? Oh, wow. and, and so uh, at the time, Icarus was shipping their canopies with the lower brake lines just finger-trapped. Where they put them in and cinch them back with the idea that you would give the canopy to your rigger and your rigger would stitch it would adjust it to the right length and then stitch it for you bar tack it um and i well it's a funny story because i'd torn my canopy kind of swooping it in and carving a landing i'd, I'd hooked it on a windsock out of paris and so i had to send my canopy away to get it fixed and I borrowed this canopy from Square One, and they were like, "Oh, here, have this, have this other one that that you can use while yours is being fixed." Hooked it up, did like 30, 40 jumps on it, no problem at all. And then jump 45, uh, deployed. The brake line was there, and I was steering it. And then you know, swooping, you come off the brakes, and you get on the front risers, and you pull the front risers down, um, and dive it at the ground. And when I transitioned from tension on the brakes to no tension on the brakes, the brake line slipped out of the toggle. So at the bottom of my dive, when I'm trying to plane out of the dive, um, this arm just went whoop. And this arm was like, don't pull this down or you're going to rotate into the ground and die. So, um, yeah, it was, pretty, uh, it was pretty awesome. Hitting the ground at about a 45-degree angle at about 45 miles an hour and then like, whee, bouncing through the air. Oh. <laughs> I met some guy later at like a Halloween party a, a couple of years later at the drop zone. He was like, oh, I was there on the grass. I heard this thud and I turned around and, and I, all I saw was like you flying through the air at eye level past me. <laughs> oh. yeah. So it was pretty funny because, you know, a big accident like that, the brain kind of protects you. And, and so I didn't feel any pain from it at my my brain just went immediately into shock and you know, I was just laying on the ground going, yep, yeah, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty messed up. Uh, 
And then it was like, all right, get my rig off me. Don't let the medics cut my rig off me. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the first concern in every skydiving accident. It's like, don't let the medics like cut my gear off me. Like, it'll yeah. be ruined, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And literally, in this time, your foot is dangling by skin. There's nothing holding it together. Just no more bones. Just some tendons and some skin. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yep. Taught me a very valuable lesson. Learning hurts. Yeah. Oh. So that happened at Paris. Yeah, Paris. At, back in 2002, on the grass, right in front of everybody. Brutal. What, was it, oh, it was even more brutal. It was I was doing a two-way jump with my wife, and uh, she watched me from above in the air spiral down and smack into the ground, and then she had to land after me. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It was it was it was a pretty brutal event. Oh, <laughs> so uh, that was that was quite some time. Two yeah, years yeah. later, you recover. Everything's done. Yep. You said, you know what? I'm going back up again. Yep. Going back up, going to do some more skydives, check it out. And it was like, as soon as I threw that pilot shoot out, and as soon as I got under canopy, it was like, this is really what I want to do. You know, not this falling through the air at 160 miles an hour. I kind of just want to fly a canopy. <laughs> and it's funny because in skydiving, you know, there's two types of people in skydiving. There's people that see the canopy ride as a means to do another skydive. And, and they don't even pack for themselves. They just pick it all up and they just hand it to a packer and they just like, pack this for me. I've got to go practice, uh, you know, falling through the air or whatever. Um, and then there's the other skydivers who absolutely love flying canopies. And, and it's like, I'm getting two for the price of one because I get to fall through the air and I get to fly a canopy, right? But there's a whole bunch, like probably more than 50% of skydivers who hate canopy flight, who just like, I oh, just get me on the ground safe without dying. And, and oh, whew, okay, now I can make another skydive, you know, now I can yeah, fall through yeah. the air again. <laughs> so you, you did quite a bit of base jumping too, huh? Um, I went and did, um, at the time, Basic Research was a company uh, over here in Paris and, and they were kind of one of the, the lead manufacturers at that time. And back in those days, there weren't, you know, a lot of base jumping courses that you could take. So, you know, I had to buy my own gear first and kind of jump the canopy a bunch of times and then went up to the bridge and did a, did a class over a weekend with them and got four jumps in and it was like two weeks later I smacked myself into the ground, so that's why I never did base jump again. But but the interesting thing was, you know, that that in base jumping I was looking for something where I was autonomous and I was making all the decisions, right? right. Um, and, and I didn't have to rely on having a million-dollar aircraft, having a pilot, having a manifest, having a, an airport, having all that kind of infrastructure in place, you know, to be able to enjoy the sport, right? And, and that was one of the things base jumping, uh, the why base jumping appealed to me because it was like just drive to a site, grab your gear, you got to get up there. You got to make the decisions about the weather. You got to make the decisions about the time of day you're jumping. You got to make the decisions about you know everything. You got to make the decisions about the pack job because the pack jobs you know very specific to the type of jump you're doing. You know and all this kind of stuff. And that's what really attracted me to that. And and to carry that over now to speed flying, it's like speed flying checks all of those boxes that I was looking for. Um, in base jumping, except I'm not leaving the hill unless I have a fully inflated flying wing above my head, not just one packed in the back, you know? Right. So so um, all of the same rewards, except I've taken 
the biggest risk component out of it, right? And that's what, one of the reasons why I love speed flying because it, it, it checked all of those boxes, right, but without the biggest risk component. <laughs> so you see these guys hiking up the, the hill. They're flying full-size paragliders. Mm -hmm. You see them. This was at Saboba. You've seen hiking. It was at Winchester Bowl, actually. It's a oh. Winchester Bowl, which is a little site in between, you know, Saboba and uh, down towards Temecula on Winchester Road there. And it's only a little 300-foot hill. Um, these guys just drove in there and just hiked up and so put wings you out. You took off over there right away and said, hey, what do you got? No, there? I was out riding my mountain bike with, with a buddy of mine. And we, we used to go ride around that hill like a bunch of times because it was like a nice hour-long ride around the hill. And we went out there and it was like, whoa. What the hell? And then we, we went for a ride and we came back and like they were still in the air. You know, it was like, whoa, this is this is what paragliding is? How is that uh, possible? I had no idea, you know, that this is what paragliding was. You know, I'd, I'd had some, a little bit of exposure to it through the skydiving world, but, um, you know, it was always kind of uh, uh, not what, you know, I'd seen on that day. So uh, it really appealed to me. Okay, so let's talk about the the transition. You um, you you make the decision. I'm going to do that. I'm going to foot launch a, a paraglider. Um, you go out and get some gear. Uh, where did you go next for for like training stuff like that? How did you uh, get under canopy that way? Um, I. Oh. This is not a setup question. I know, I know. I'm know. trying to remember the rules, though. Um, I did a little <laughs> bit of, I did a little <laughs> bit of training down at uh, down down by the coast in La Jolla, um, and and kind of didn't really mesh with one of the instructors down there, and kind of had not a pleasant, you know, too pleasant an experience. So after maybe five or six flights down there, I just took my gear and went to Winchester Bowl and um, started flying. And in the the first, you know, I knew from skydiving that currency is the most important thing, right? Being current, doing it again and again and again, day after day after day. So the first month I started flying, I went to Winchester Bowl every night after work and my goal was spend an hour in the air. So in the first month of flying, I got 20 hours. Oh, wow. Right? And that really helped me to progress a long way because one of the things, you know, one of the big things about teaching yourself or about going out and teaching with very little instruction is that you just don't know what normal is, you know, and that's one of the benefits of having an instructor there is that something happens and you're like, well, is that normal or is that something I should be worried about, right? And the instructor just can just tell you, relax, it's cool, you know, or okay, head straight out and land right away, right? But, you know, when you're trying to figure that out on your own, that's that's a little bit of a stumbling block. So you've just got to understand that the learning process is going to be longer, you know, expect it to be longer and expect it to, to, to progress at a slower rate and be patient, you know? And that's kind of what I did because, you know, half the time you're up there and you take a tip collapse and the thing opens up and you're like, is that normal? Am I about to die? Uh, I don't know. It's never happened before. Uh, uh, I'm falling out of the sky, so I guess it must be okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a bit of fun. <laughs> so you obviously had some friends that were in the sport already. So you're bouncing some of this stuff off of them. I, I imagine you're calling some some of your friends to say, "Hey, check out what I'm doing." I know I you're skydiving. Know. I didn't know it. None of my skydiving friends. Um, I didn't. I kind of lost touch with the skydiving community at that point, you know, because they were all still skydiving and I wasn't. Um, and um, so I didn't really know anybody else uh, and have anybody else to bounce ideas off. You know, I had the manual, I had the book, and I read that cover to cover several times. 
um, the art of paragliding, and uh, um, that was very, very helpful. Um, I already had a pretty good understanding of the weather because I'd already spent, you know, during my, my recovery, I couldn't fly, so, so I chose to fly vicariously through other things um, like helicopters and discus launch gliders and, you know, remote control things. Um, and so I started flying discus launch gliders and learnt a ton about thermally. Right, because you don't have a motor, you just throw these things up in the air and then you start catching thermals. Um, so it taught me a lot about sources and triggers, and it took me a lot, it taught me a lot about you know, um, um, uh, uh, tracking thermals back with the with the apparent wind and all this kind of stuff because I'd had yeah. years of flying remote control aircraft, you know, seeing that. So, so it was this kind of culmination of I'd, I'd been doing all these things and observing all this weather and understand trying to get this deep understanding of how thermals worked, and then it was like. Oh, so he, oh, well, here's a wing, and like um, you can go and experience it for yourself now. <laughs> so that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I got to watch somebody fly a really nice. Uh, uh, what do you call it? You just grab by the end. What did you call it? Uh, discus launch glider. Discus. DLT. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it was incredible. Yep. I, he was standing on the on the ground at in the LZ over at um, uh, Palomar. And he, he would throw it from the ground, and he would fly it for like five minutes at a time. Yep, yep. From the ground. Yep. That, uh, five yeah. minutes is pretty easy because a sixty-inch DLG you can launch to two hundred feet uh, pretty much with not too much trouble at all. Well, you can if you're a big tall guy with big long arms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, you're you instruct uh -huh. on? Are you instructing solely on speed flying at this point, or are you doing? Paragliding, free flight, paramotoring, uh, all of the above. What's your focus right now? Um, Ushpa makes it kind of difficult on us because, uh, you know, to be able to teach uh, speed flying, you need to be an advanced paragliding pilot and a paragliding instructor and not just a basic instructor. Mm. And, you know, so that means you've already been a basic instructor for a year, you've signed off six people, you've, you know, done all this other stuff. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of tough because what, what we found or what I found is that, you know, if you be, to actually become an advanced paragliding instructor, you kind of really have to be passionate about teaching paragliding, right? Because you're teaching to a P4 level, right? So you need to be able to teach a cross-country clinic or teach, you know, advanced weather clinics or teach, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, uh, but, you know, some people, you know, I just wanted to teach speed flying. So I do still teach some paragliding, but my focus is, is mainly on teaching speed flying these days. You know, I like to just teach speed flying. And, and it's worked out great because Jess has, you know, been at the site and she's teaching all the paragliding students and I'm teaching all the speed flying students right now and it's kind of working out really good. And we kind of work with each other. If she wants to take a day off, I'll take her students and teach paragliding. Right? Or if someone comes in with no experience at all, uh, I had three guys a couple of weeks ago, zero experience at all, you know, two days on a paraglider and then into speed wings. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys are banging them out then over at Saboba. If, if by the way, uh, Saboba is an awesome site. I got to fly it a couple of times. You should go check it out if you're local here in San Diego or, or, or if you're anywhere nearby or if you're planning on taking a vacation. Um, hit these guys up man they have a great school and they have a great place to go and and hang out and go fly uh i won't spend a whole lot of time talking about yeah. it but 
the, we the weather recent fun. the weather recently has been really really nice in the afternoons we've had a lot of um just beautiful afternoon glass offs you know launch at 4 35 o'clock fly till 7 30. um it's been it's been really nice weather lately and it's starting to cool off summer is like seems like it's officially over out here at least yeah it's i think we got one more little stint of uh hot weather here yeah. and then uh we should be looking at some some kind of fall flying i'm really looking forward to um to the next season of flying i've got all kinds of stuff on my plate we um we're moving into a different house um i gotta do the remodel and like it feels like i'm never gonna get to fly again but it's coming it's coming a couple of the guys in the chat were asking about it we're um we're just about to close escrow i think we've got another week and we should be good to go in about a week get some keys um so um let's talk real quick uh, about cost what is it going to cost a guy to go from getting in you know seeing this video and then going to rich to get training and get off the ground with the speedwing um it, it it really depends on the individual and it really depends on the experience set that you bring to the table there we we you know we have a, a fixed syllabus um for you know teaching speed flying but really that kind of we go at the rate that the student can progress at right um and so a lot of students will come in and spend you know maybe two days with me two and a half days and and then um i like to kick him out of the nest and and send them out to go fly and you know what i'm going to recommend is is like don't go out and fly other sites come you know stay here at saboba and just fly 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 either render wing or whatever but you don't need to pay for instruction for those days you know um and you know i'll still talk to the students and set goals with them and and you know watch what they're doing but um a lot of the times it's 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 you know two three days especially if you've got some skydiving experience or you've got some um, paragliding experience or uh, I even had a guy recently who, who had no paragliding experience but he had paramotor experience uh, all he had was was two three years of flying paramotor um, and it was quite funny because we discovered a new a new sim, uh, syndrome called uh, paramotoritis um, and it's when you guys get close to the ground you don't take landing seriously because you're just like well let's just go around and do another one and he got he, he ended up like down landing downwind twice because he got himself in bad situations and under the mindset of like oh what i'm used to flying is i could just power out of this um so so yeah that was fun that was a new one for me the paramotoritis on landing <laughs> <laughs> paramotoritis yeah like that i might yeah. have to make that as a t-shirt <laughs> yeah. i'm coming up with these ideas for the shirt by the way uh resurgence ppg hooked it up with some shirts i see uh sean he got his too i know neil got one too so shout out to these guys if you don't know anything about resurgence ppg look them up resurgenceppg.com they have a great organization. They're getting guys up in the air. They sponsor military vets uh, and will get them up and flying. Um, they'll, uh, if you donate to their cause, they're a 501c3, so it's tax uh, write-offable. And uh, they got a really good organization, and they need your help. Um, they've got guys lined up that want to go and get up in the air, and um, he can't sponsor everybody right now. But eventually, he'll be able to do it. We just need to uh, keep promoting and keep pushing the the uh the plan 
but uh yeah man so i i'm digging speed flying i actually talked to a, a friend of mine today who was flying with you not too long ago uh chris he has a channel he's a paramotor guy um he's actually flying as we speak and he's getting his tandem license so he's uh, uh he called and asked me if i would be a, a test dummy for him and i told him we have the show so couldn't do it and uh but uh, he's doing it through an instructor all that he's doing yeah. it the right way and uh but yeah i think you have to have your student has to be a pilot in order for you to be able to do yeah. it or something like that yeah. i don't know all those all that yeah. stuff but um yeah man um they he had nothing but great things to say about what you guys are doing over there i really like what you just said about you know after you get your formal training keep flying there and after yeah. that it's yeah that's well that's where i know that it's legit when you when you say things like that it's not about the money no it's not it's about creating safe pilots who go out and you know represent this sport in the community at large and set a really good example and you know maybe educate some of the other pilots as well um speed flying you know essentially what we're doing when we're paragliding or speed flying or we're doing any of these sports is we're doing three things we're going to launch we're going to fly we're going to land right and in speed flying um it's it's really important that early on those first 20 30 fights we really focus on the launch to really get that launch down because the launch has to work right every time and you have to be really in tune with what's going on with the wing and where it is in the interstage of the inflation right because launch is two things inflate the wing then accelerate the wing to flying speed right you need to know the wing has inflated because uh, typically speed launches are very committing and they're a lot shorter right so that thing has to be up above your head in three or four steps um, and then you're you're Oof, going down the face of a hill pretty steep and you need to know that that's going to work so early on we really focus on the launch and don't set too much too, too high goals in terms of flying or in terms of you know landing um, so um, really want to get you know because in paragliding you can abort a launch pretty easily right and in paramotor you can do that pretty easy you run on the flat the wing doesn't come up and, oh, okay we'll just shut it down Jesus, I'm going to sweat a bit more and then lay it out and then off we go again. You know, but in speed flying, um, there's a lot of consequences on launch usually. And that's where a lot of pilots get hurt. Um, that's where a lot of accidents happen is that wing doesn't come up perfect every time. You know, if you're, if you're a bullet, I tell students, if, if you're shutting down more than one in a hundred launches, you, you're making bad decisions. Right? Because every time you put your foot forward and start that run, you know, that's a decision that you made. You made that decision based on, you know, what the wind was doing, you know, what, what you, and, and even laying your wing out, you know, how you lay your wing out, that's a decision. You know, clearing the lines, that's a decision you make. You, you decided to only spend 10 seconds clearing your lines instead of the 30 seconds, you know, and you would have found that tension knot, right? So, you know, tension knot launched with a paraglider, no big deal. You know, maybe affect five percent of the wing, give you a little tiny turn. Tension not launch on a speed wing, man, that thing's going to affect twenty percent of the wing, and it's going to start swinging you back into the terrain as soon as it starts to load up, and you're going to have to give it a huge big weight shift to one side just to get it to fly straight. And you're going to have to do that right away, um, or you're going to be smacked into the rocks. You know, so so the consequences um, that 
flying a faster smaller wing you know are much greater and that's why you know early on in the program it's like really just let's just focus on this launch 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 get that down and and as we start to do that and think about the process the process starts to slow down for us and we come become really in tune with what's going on it was interesting recently i had a guy and and he did a couple of days four days and we we did speed flying in the morning and then in the afternoons we had fantastic weather so we went paragliding and, and by the third day he, he said to me he was like this is incredible like flying the speed wing has given me a, a much greater appreciation for flying my paraglider and i feel like i'm more in tune with the whole with what's going on now because when you're forced to do something at a faster rate and a faster pace and it's happening quicker right then when you go back to a paraglider and everything's happening in super slow motion <laughs> um you know you can you, you're much more aware and in tune of, of, of you know uh, of di of you know slicing and dicing that process and, and figuring out what's going on you know so so um uh, it, it it really helps in these sports to be you know to just try a bit of everything try some speed flying try some try some paragliding try some paramotor you know because it, it just makes you a better pilot overall i yeah. think <laughs> I, I love what you said every decision you you're making yep. your decisions yeah well um, that's really important and, and it's, you especially say that is you're making your decisions and and this is one of the things that i that i tell all students is flying is a personal journey and we're all on our own individual personal journeys, right? And you, you shouldn't be comparing yourself to what other people are doing and you shouldn't be trying to keep up with what other people are doing and, and stepping outside of, you know, what your skill set is capable of, you know, just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean that you need to do it. And, and if you want to spend a long time in this sport, then you'll come to, you'll, you'll realize that flying is a personal journey and you fly within your own limits rather than flying within other people's limits. Yeah. I, I love the idea of uh, being able to carry up about 15 pounds. It's 10. 10? Yeah. Because <laughs> my gear is 50 pounds right now. <laughs> yeah. It's brutal. But by the time I get to the hill, I've already lost a couple pounds. Yeah. Uh, so what are the most common mistakes? Let's talk about that. Most common mistakes you're having, whether it's guys that have experience or not, they come to you. And, and you're seeing this and it's like, okay, that has to change. Um, well, there's a couple of things that I sent you, uh, I sent you an email that had, uh, that had something. One of the biggest mistakes I, I see from like experienced pilots is they overdrive the wing and, and overinflate the wing and the wing will get in front of them and they'll have to mash the brakes. Um, and it's, it's just typically because, you know, the, the, the old gear from six, seven years ago was terrible and it didn't launch very well and you had to really drag it up in the air. Whereas modern wings, it's, it's pretty much just a step, step, wait for it to get overhead and then go. Um, so see a lot of people overdriving and also see a lot of problems with layout, right? You know, the horseshoe, the whole horseshoeing the wing, right? How much horseshoe is enough horseshoe? Right? Right. And why do we horseshoe? Why do we horseshoe the wing? Right? So we're horseshoeing the wing to preload the center line so that the center of the wing comes up first rather than the tips because the tips are much thinner and when they inflate first, they go off axis, right? So that's why we want to preload the center lines. So so we find on speed wings, you know, that small they get, you know, that the shorter the lines get. Um, and, and so a lot of people, you know, horseshoe the, this wing, the same wing, the same way they horseshoed their other wing, um, you know, when they don't actually 
kind of know how to check it. it. So all you do is stand there and hold the risers up. And as long as you've got more tension on the center A than you have on the side A, hey, you've horseshoed the wing properly, right? And if you haven't, then you need to pull those tips down a little bit because it's really important that you get the center of the wing to inflate first and inflate out rather than having one of those tips come up first because it'll just same on a paraglider, but way more reactive. Way, way, way more reactive. Like a fast speed pack, man. It's like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that, that used to be a problem with some of the old wings too, you know, is they'd, they'd come up and, and both tips would inflate and the center would just like, and would just drag and then finally inflate. So, uh, yeah, thankfully modern wing technology, you know, because if we look at what's happened in the last, you know, four to five years with wing technology, that a lot of these advancements in t uh, have been all about just getting the wing to launch better, you know, putting weed whacker in the nose, much bigger cross porting, uh, much lighter weight materials on the wing, you know, unsheathed micro lines on, on speed wings now. Um, you know, all really? that stuff has, has all been about, you know, getting these things to launch easier, you know, because the flying hasn't, the, the way they fly hasn't, you know, super changed that, that whole much, but the way they launch has changed significantly in the last couple of years. Somebody in the chat asked, what's a toggle monkey? What's a toggle monkey? A toggle monkey is a skydiver who comes over and, uh, and thinks they know everything about, the, or typically they have like a thousand to four thousand skydives. Um, and, and so, you know, they've got their D license in skydiving, which D license allows you to do anything, right? It's license to do anything. Um, and, and they just think that they know how to fly one of these canopies because they know how to fly a skydiving canopy. And, and skydiving canopy is very roll stable uh, and you kind of have to throw it around and you're kind of like, pull the toggles down and get it to rotate. And then when you look over the toggles, it just kind of stays there. Uh, and, and speed wings aren't like that because they're incredibly roll unstable. And so when people try and pull toggles, it like gets the thing rolling and it gets themselves in trouble. Um, you know, we typically don't fly um, with any toggles at all, right? Because these things are super, super roll unstable, right? And, and we fly with a split leg harness and a split leg harness is considered a low weight shift harness, right? In, in the paragliding world compared to a seat board, but we don't need a whole bunch of weight shift because the thing is so tiny and just a little bit of lean uh, will get the thing going. So the other thing is too that you've got to think about is, is G-force and because you know, speed flying is, is a lot about energy management. It's a lot about managing energy. It's about building energy and it's about bleeding energy. It's about managing that energy and, and you know, our wing loading uh, affects our launch uh, speed, how, how fast we're going to launch. But once we start turning and rolling that wing and building some energy, our wing loading just goes way, way, way up, right? So, so on that third turn that you've cranked, the thing is is loaded. You know, instead of weighing 150 pounds, I know I weigh 300 pounds under that wing. So just a little tiny weight shift is going to make that thing rip, right? Uh, and so that's that's what we find, right? Is that you know it's so much about energy management, so much about building energy and managing that, that energy, um, and it doesn't take a, a, a huge wing loading to achieve that. I, I forget where we started there. I just started rambling on about stuff. No, that's great. <laughs> this this is this is nonstop information. I'm I'm on overload. Yeah. I need a I need a speed wing right away. <laughs> It's it's an easy transition for uh, for most paraglider pilots. It's it's a pretty easy transition. Um, I I like it. I, I noticed uh, Jessica's flying a, an is it a nine meter wing now? Nine. Yep. So yep. That's a tiny little thing. It's like literally the size yeah, of a single but, bed sheet. Yeah, I I just got an eleven inch uh, Rapidos, and she just got a nine. 
um, Rapidos and you know I weigh 190 pounds and she weighs 140 pounds. So it's what not the size of your it? wing. It's not the size of your wing. It's how much you're loading it. You know. Right. But uh, one thing that about wing loading though that we have found is that once you get into the smaller sizes, that roll axis length plays a plays a really important part in that, and that you don't need a high wing loading on a small wing because of how uh, short the lines are and how short that roll axis, you know, the distance between you and the top of the wing becomes, um, and and so on bigger wings, you know, 14, 12, above twelve meters, um, it's really important to load them. But on, on smaller wings, it's not as important to load them because you get huge amount of sense, roll sensitivity because of the uh, roll axis length. So um, on a on a the older style wings, the the lines were longer, and now well, you're the, saying they're the shorter. lines change by size, right? Lines change with size, right? So okay. sixteen meter, fourteen meter, twelve meter, ten meter, eight meter, right? So okay. so they all change with size, and that dramatically changes that the length of that roll axis the distance that the canopy has to roll right versus rolling all this distance versus woo, this much distance right it takes much longer time to roll when you're when you're further away from that center than when you're closer to that center it's much quicker to roll right I got a question for you have you ever flown a speed wing with a paramotor no because I'm too heavy I, I used to wait I just lost weight over summer teaching out at out of Suburbia. It's just impossible to keep weight on. But I was up to my winter weight of 210, and that's that was my old uh, normal flying weight. And I flew a mini plane with a top 80 in it. So uh, I didn't have a lot of climb on that. <laughs> but, yeah, that's why I'd, I never even thought that was possible to fly, you know, a, a mini plane with like a 16-meter. <laughs> That's crazy. I saw, I saw a video of Chad Bastian doing it uh, yeah. down in Florida on a mini plane with a 16. I've seen some guys in Europe do it. Yeah. Um, I think Sean has a 16-meter wing. No, mine's an 18. Uh, oh, 18. you got the Firefly 18? Little uh, little Cloud. Yeah, 18-meter. Oh. Yeah. I kite that. That's my kiting wing. Until yeah. I can find a mountain big enough that I can, you know. Yeah, so... So, so that's interesting because little clouds are kind of, you know, people buy them thinking, oh, this is a speed wing, um, and it's not. Um, it's, it's a mini wing. It's a small paraglider, right? So to me, and this is really important because, you know, there is no real definition of what a speed wing is. A speed, uh, any company can make a wing and say this is a speed wing, right? But to me, a speed wing is something that has an aspect ratio less than four to one, right? So we look at the, the phaser, the the, you know, that's 3.2. The Firefly is about three and a half. The Rapidos is like 3.9, something like that. They're all less than four to one. And once we get above four to one, you know, we're starting to get into paraglider territory. And the little clouds are more like five or six to one, right? That's why they've got an eight to one glide. And that's something uh, I noticed when I was kiting the wing was just yeah. like, you know, this doesn't feel like it was a traditional speed wing. It's not. It's no. more like, you know, like you were saying. Yeah. A, it's a know. small paraglider. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so one of the major differences is pitch stability. So it has longer lines, and it's going to be more pitch unstable, right? It's going to be like a like a paraglider, except it's going to be more twitchy because it's highly more highly loaded. Yes, yes, it's it's a lot faster, yeah. but it has yeah. that paraglider feel. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has that yeah. paraglider feel. Yeah. So you sent over a list of um, oh, yeah. things, and we you've covered uh four so far 
You said trim speed is the slowest that you want to fly. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting concept, and it's something that not a lot of paraglider pilots understand because in the paragliding world, we always want to fly at um, what I like to call maximum lift, um, but some people tend to call minimum sink, right? But it's, 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 it's not the least amount of suck. It's the most amount of awesome, right? It's maximum <laughs> lift. It's not like minimum sink. Oh, we're in minimum sink again. That sounds terrible. We're in maximum lift. Yay. Maximum lift. Um, <laughs> so, so we always want to fly the paraglider slow because, you know, we're trying to capitalize on lift and we're trying to, you know, have something in the brakes so that we can maintain you know, uh, pitch stability in the wing. When it pitches back and pitches forward, on a speed wing, very pitch stable. So so we get pitch stability for free, kind of like you do when you're flying a motor, right? Because you're dragging it through the air and it's pitched up at a couple of degrees. You've got a higher angle of attack. It's always highly loaded, right? So you never take little tip to collapses because you're dragging the thing through the air. And, and the same, you know, is, is true for a speed wing. You know, when we fly straight out from launch, I'm going to check the wing, dump my trims, and then I'm going to start turning. And I'm going to keep the thing turning, keep the thing turning. Because I want that wing pressurized, and I want it fully loaded. I don't want to be flying straight and level when I go through some bumpy air. The other thing is I want speed, so I'm cutting through that air, right? The other thing is if I have speed, right? Of course, in aviation, we can trade altitude for speed, we lose altitude, but we gain speed, or we can trade speed for altitude. We gain altitude, but we lose speed. So if I don't have speed, you know, and, I, and I'm turning with toggles, right? So if I'm turning with toggles, I'm creating drag on one side of the wing, slowing the wing down, allowing it to yaw, and then it dives back to pick up speed, right? To recover back to trim speed. If I'm rolling the wing with weight shift, I'm, I'm rolling it, and then I'm carving it through a turn. So I'm building energy the whole way through. So if I over-rotate and I'm suddenly like pointing at the hill or getting a little too close to the ground, just a little tiny tap on those brakes trades some of that energy that I've been carrying with me for lift, right? And woo, I can pop up 10 feet and just keep going, right? But if I'm still in the process of build, recovering that energy because I made a big toggle turn, you know, I don't have that energy stored up to make that trade, right? And that puts me in a much, you know, more sketchy situation i think right no. so initiate uh, number six you said initiate turns mostly with upper body then drive through the turn with the legs right so we know we know this from paragliding right we initiate with weight shift to start the wing turning on the roll axis and then we follow we drive through the turn with toggles to get it yawing and to get it around, right? So it's kind of the same concept. We want to initiate the turn and then we want to drive through it. And the, here's the thing. Here's my risers, right? I'm outside the risers initiating the turn. The risers come back around to the center, right? So if I don't drive through the turn after that initiating the turn, then I'm just going to roll out of the turn, and do a ratchet turn, which is kind of what we all did when we all first started paragliding, right? And they told us to make that turn, and you leaned over, and then it like it rolled out. Why did it roll out? It rolled out because you didn't have enough brake input because you you were being too timid, right? Because you were afraid to pull the brakes down, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's, it's the same thing, and it's because the risers move, right? We move outside the risers, but then the risers move back to center. So once I'm centered, you know, the wing's going to return straight and level flight. So Initiate, the rise come around, and now I need to drive through again. Got it. 
So of uh, seven, it says driving the wind, driving. Oh the wind yeah, to yeah. The ground. This, is, this is an interesting concept because you know I see a lot of you know in, in paragliding we glide the wing to the ground, right? So we do our downwind base final leg and you know we glide it down to the ground and and the reason we do that is because we can't bring a lot of energy to the ground with a paraglider because the thing is so damn efficient if we make even the slightest little turn down near the ground whoop, and then we know how that ends right, right. so <laughs> but with a speed wing we can bring a lot of energy to the ground and because of that low aspect ratio it's not as efficient so it doesn't want to generate as much lift and especially at higher speeds it won't generate as much lift right because that polar curve lift drops off as speed increases same as it does for a paraglider right when you're on full speed bar on a paraglider lift de decreases right speed increases right so um the general concept is you know kind of come out from the hill and make a gradual 90 degree turn all the way to the ground and drive the wing to the ground with a little bit of positive energy rather than just putting it straight and level and gliding it right um, you're going to be less likely to be affected by dust devils or by turbulence near the ground or by you know anything that's going on closer to the ground and the more energy we can bring to the ground, the more flare power we have, right? Because speed wings flare very differently from a paraglider. Paraglider is like one nice smooth stroke, and then we have this pitching moment, uh, uh, this two-second delay, and then we kind of start to feel the lift as the angle of attack goes up and it starts to generate more lift, and then we start to feel it, right? So we start that flare at eight feet or at six feet, and by like three feet, the wing has finally responded <laughs> but but the speed wing because it's so pitch sensitive because it's so pitch stable as soon as we hit those brakes it just goes boop and pops straight up there's no real pitching moment and no real kind of swinging it's just like derp. so i'm not going to start my flare until i'm like down at two or three feet and then i'm going to come to a quarter brakes the thing's going to plane out i'm going to bleed that bleed that bleed that and then finish the flare so it's very much like a two-stage flare uh, much more like landing a you know nine cell skydiving canopy than a than a paraglider, which makes a lot of sense. You're yeah, so have so so it's actually interesting because I I you know I fly my PG I've been flying my PG a lot and I still suck at landing my PG because I'm like I, I keep trying to like bring a lot of energy to the ground and then uh, at that last second it'll you'll get picked up or you get slammed down it's like God damn it you know that's, but that's speed fly that's speed flyitis. Yes, but it's not. It's just, you know, the other day, everybody was getting slammed on the ground. Everybody was getting slammed on the ground because the air, like the last 10 feet of air was just like super thin and super sinky. And everybody came in, tried to flare and then just like, boom, got smacked on the ground. There was like six of us that did it. Um, but on my speed wing. You've got an invention and I want to share this. I'm going to screen share this because it's very interesting. And I want you to talk about it a little bit. You, you sent me an email some time ago and uh, yeah, there it is. I'm going to show a close-up with my uh, – let's, let's talk about uh, this device. Back. Yeah, so one thing I discovered teaching speed flying, you know, the more you do it, the more you see these patterns. Um, and, and I started to see patterns appearing in, in, in people having trouble launching later in the day as it was getting hotter. And it was like, oh, that's because it's getting hotter and the air is getting thinner, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Um, but what's going on, right? What's going on? Um, and it turns out that that's, you know, a little thing called density altitude, which is made up of pressure and temperature and humidity. Um, and so I built a little device. It's a little uh, ESP8266 microcontroller there in the center um, with a little OLED display on the left there. And it's got a, 
uh, pressure temperature humidity sensor around the back there with a battery on it. Um, and, the, and the point of this device is to give us an understanding about what the air mass is doing, right? Because I tell students, the air is five different things. When we're standing on launch, it's five different things. And, it, and it's not, you know, apparent direction and speed. Those are two of the most obvious ones. But the other three are pressure, temperature, and humidity, which make up density altitude. And density altitude is, you know, not how many feet above sea level we're actually standing. It's, it's how many feet above sea level this actually feels like, right? Uh, and, and I've noticed out at Saboba um, that during the day, that'll change by thousands of feet. In the morning, it'll be around 2,600. And then at lunchtime, that'll be up above 5,500. And then in the afternoon, drop down to 3,000. Right? Wow. It changes significantly. And I noticed that once it goes above 5,000, hits that 5,500 mark, landings become fun. <laughs> Interesting. They're very fast and you've got to flare very quickly and there's not much air and you end up sliding on your butt a lot. And, and I notice that by, you know, just flying my speedwing at different times of the day and trying to find a correlation to, you know, what's going on here. Um, and the other thing is, you know, when I traveled, I, I traveled to, to Utah and to, 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 you know, Idaho and a couple of other places and you get up on launch and it's like, uh, I don't really know. We're at 8,000 feet, but uh, I'm not really sure how the air is going to be. But why don't you go first? <laughs> but, you know, this little device gives you gives you kind of a, a good understanding. You can just pull it out of your pocket, turn it on, and, and right here it's telling us that, you know, density altitude is 3,800 feet, and it tells us that, that we're plus 2,400 feet over what our uh, actual altitude is. Right, it's a little plus. It's just how many feet over current altitude and it displays a bunch of things it displays uh pressure right so one of the things i can look at there is i can say pressure is 1011 and we know standard pressure is 1013.25 so it's low pressure right now and low pressure is thinner air right high pressure ooh, is thicker air so by being able to look at this i can say oh well that's kind of one of the things that's influencing that i can look at the temperature and humidity as well and i can see it's 44 degrees humidity or 40 percent humidity 37 38 you know and it's almost 31 degrees Celsius. Um, and, and so I can go through the actual, you know, have a look at the parameters that are affecting that and go, oh, look, it's low pressure. Okay. I didn't realize it was low pressure. Um, there's not many clouds in the sky, but uh, I'll take your word for it. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, really, it, it's really valuable for people yeah, also, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day, actually, skydiver, and he was like, wow, that's really valuable. I'd love to have that. He was a swooper, uh, and he was like, you know, because that really affects us when we're swooping. Um, and that's kind of where I first discovered it, back out of Paris, back in the day. You know, first thing in the morning, you'd make that turn from 400 feet. Um, but by 11 o'clock, you are making that turn by 800 feet, and you are falling at the same rate and at the same speed. Um, but earlier in the morning, you just, it just the air just felt so thick, you, you just felt like you were trying to slice through it with a you know a cold knife through cold butter or a hot knife yeah cold knife through cold butter um That's interesting so you this device has the it it, it started it, it started life as my density altitude meter <laughs> so, <laughs> so this was the first version in here um which i put a <laughs> gps on um and and i put it in the altoid tin and then, and then I got this uh, this hardware with a with a full integrated battery on the top. But, but I don't like the I don't like the form factor of this. So I've got some some new hardware on the way. Um, it's going to be more like a, a wrist wearable thing um, okay. that you can just turn on. You know, because you know when I go to when I go, 
I got really bitten bad in, in uh, Idaho, uh, in Haley, Idaho, flying with Will Burks one time. Um, the air was so, so thin and it was cold. And, and, you know, I'm used to coming from California. I'm used to when it's cold, that means the air's thick. But it was extremely low pressure and that's what made it cold. But that's also what made it thin and the humidity also made it ridiculously thin. And I had a horrible, horrible time launching my Firefly from like, you know, 5,000 foot launch. And it was a ridiculously horrible experience. Uh, and it was one of those things. It's like, I need to understand the air mass better and I need to understand, you know, what's really going on because I can sense speed and direction. No trouble at all. Oh, here's my other patented device. It's my patented low wind aniometer. Have you ever seen one of these before? <laughs> Very good. Aniometer. No, no. So, so in light, light winds, really, really light winds, you can't really feel it on your face, you know. But you know, launching with a very light tailwind can be, you know, not ideal. So, so this is very useful um, in light, light winds. Um, <laughs> I think I use actually... vaporizers for that. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can blow out a real thick thing of smoke and you can see which direction it's going because sometimes you don't have dust on the launch to be able to kick some dust right that's what i was going to say i always see them kick the dust just before they yeah. launch we're lucky we've got dust i guess when i travel i gotta take a bag of saboba dust in my pocket <laughs> <laughs> well, somehow yeah i've seen guys take blades of grass throw it i see the yeah. PPG guys do that yeah um, so yeah, i mean I've been testing this for a couple of months now this is the like third version of the software and second version of the hardware so you know, I hope to have something that's uh, that's kind of a product here shortly. Or, are you um, are you doing any kind of um, what do they call that? It's it's like a GoFundMe for making something a creation. Um, you know. I just don't think the market's big enough for that. You know, I, I you know I want I, this is maybe not hardware here. costs on this is ridiculously cheap. I'm thinking that the whole thing's going to end up costing, you know, retail price of like $45, right? That's going to be final price because this hardware stuff's cheap. It's got like built-in Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on, on this stuff. So I can, you know, talk to phone and do, do stuff on phone, you know, uh, and that kind of stuff, do data logging and data collection. I kind of really want to just get a couple out there and get people to try, start trying them and, and give me some feedback on them and, you know, give me some feedback on, that's what the website on. is. The website's called Kickstarter. That's what it is. Thank yeah, you. I've, I've, there's Mr. Kickstarter and Sports. That's who it is. Mr. TNT Motorsports. You got the right answer. That's what I was trying to think of. So, um, you're you're talking about maybe handing out a few of those to some different pilots. That yeah, uh, I got some new hardware coming in. Oh man, this this whole thing with China has has like really done some damage to the electronics stuff oh, no. i used to be able to get stuff from china in like 10 days 12 days and now it's like 30 days 35 days to get to get you know to yeah get, to get something like th this size from china it's just ridiculous stuff's getting held up here in customs for weeks unnecessarily you're you're pu putting all these things together in your shop here so you wait for the parts to come in, you put them together. How many do you have? Yeah, uh, I've got a little bench here, and I've got a bunch of sensors that I've wired up here, and I've got some some more hardware here. I've got another one here that I've this is kind of my test rig, and um, oh, nice. I, well, I, I kind of had this one setting up and just ran it for twenty four hours and just logged data on it for twenty four hours and looked at you know the trends and, and that kind of stuff. Oh, um, so, yeah, and I've been trying out a bunch of different types of temperature sensors and humidity sensors and, and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's getting there. 
It's been How, a fun project. So you you don't have them for sale yet? There's uh, I don't have them for sale yet. I've got uh, two working prototypes right now. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I'm a. Part as, of as soon as this stuff comes in from China, though, I mean, the software's already written, so it's just a matter of it takes forty five seconds to upload the software onto the bloody things. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so Patton, huh? Do you uh, are you going to go down that route? No, I'd probably, if anything, I'd probably sell a few of them and then open source it. I think it's Love probably it. what I'd do. And if people want to put one together, they can put it together and just download the code and have the code, you know. Because I think That's it's awesome. a really useful device and, uh, device. and, you know, my job's, you know, I retired from 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 uh, working in the, the corporate world. I, I used to do IT work for a Fortune 500 defense military contractor and uh, did that for a number of years. Um, and, and so, you know, I kind of retired from doing that and I don't really need to make a lot of money um, to survive. Um, which I'm very grateful for. Thank you, corporate America. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I do. I, I instruct because I love instructing, and you know, that's that's why I'm not like teaching every single day of the week because I'm not out chasing the dollar. You know, I'm like, you know, I want to take students and, and have those students have a really good experience and go away. You know, um, better pilots or you know, much better pilots. So, so I'm not really chasing money right now. I'm, yeah. you know, I, I I really think this is a really useful device, and I really think it would help a lot of people. I love it. Um, yeah. As soon as that's available, I would like to... Uh, yeah, I'll send you one because the motor guys, you know, it's very helpful for the motor guys too because, yeah. you know, you may need to adjust your uh, your your idle settings or something like that, your, your mixture, you know, depending on what altitude you're at and what, what altitude you're launching at. We'll put a link as soon as those are available. We'll put a link on the yep. website and then uh, that way we can, we'll do it like that and, and maybe we can, we'll set that stuff up. Um, yep. Speaking of money, go support the show. This show... I have a setup on Patreon if you want to support the show. We have guys making up to $15 gifts to the show. Um, you don't have to do a monthly if you can't afford a monthly and maybe you just want to throw five bucks at your favorite show or whatever it is. Uh, please do that. And I, I would just want to keep the show going. I've got some ideas about some T-shirts. Uh, I, I have an idea about making a shirt that says paraglidingtalk.com on the front or maybe um, – you know, just a logo over the pouch. And then I was thinking about having, having it say on the back, I might have intermediate syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and so just putting it out there, if you see that shirt, I'm the one that came up with that idea. because I'm pretty sure I've got that. And uh, anyways, I was thinking about making, uh, making some shirts. These are, these are simple. I, I think, um, I like the idea. So if you have some ideas of what you want to do, yeah, sh show me your ozone shirt. <laughs> yeah. So um, somebody asked earlier in the chat, what uh, do you do? You sell ozone gear? Do you work for ozone? How, how's your relationship with them? Um, I used to be sponsored by them for speed flying. Um, yeah, I took I took a year off. Um, my dad got cancer, and I, I spent some time with him back in Australia before he died, and. Uh, you know, so I kind of took a, took a year away from uh, from teaching and from the industry, and then uh, just kind of started back up. So so they kind of dropped their sponsorship off me uh, while I took a year off. But uh, but they hooked me up with the Rapidos, so I'm pretty grateful. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, they hooked me up pretty good with that. So so that's that was, great. That was nice. Yeah, and we're you know we're we're dealers for Ozone, um, but you know we sell other gear as well. But we are we're official Ozone dealers out there. And we just love their stuff, you know. In the in yeah. the Speedwing world, there there really is only two manufacturers right now. There's there's Ozone and Swing, um, and anyone else, you know, 
it's just not really making speed wings or it's just not really up to the standard that these guys are doing. Yeah, it's such a niche sport. It um, is. Yeah. It is. But I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing more and more people are getting into it. More and people are, are excited about it. That's why I was uh, excited. Well, it's, to do this it's really great because it's very complementary to to you know paramotor or to paragliding. You know, you get to a site and there's no wind and it's there's no lift. It's, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to fly my speedwing, and then as soon as it starts to pick up and as soon as it starts to get thermic, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go fly my paraglider, right? So, you know, they're very complementary. They don't ever conflict with each other. It's never like. Oh, it's never the perfect weather for paragliding and for speed flying. It's either one or the other, right? <laughs> That's pretty. I, I just think it's cool, man. There, yeah. There's something about it. Well, the, the thing about it is, is the expectation, right? So when we go paragliding, we have a certain expectation. Or even when we're flying motor, we have an expectation that we're going to fly for this long or we're going to you know, fly this distance or we're going to stay up and get to so many thousand feet. And when that doesn't happen, and when you land on the ground, oh, my God, paragliding is the worst sport ever and it sucks. And it's, it, oh, this wing sucks and, oh, this side sucks and the weather sucks. Even though the person who launched before you got up and the person who launched after you got up. And, you know, maybe it was just... You didn't know what you were doing. Um, but in speed flying, you know, your expectation is I'm going straight downhill. You know, I'm going, I'm going, you know, it's 45 seconds from the 800, yeah. right? So I'm descending at 1,000 feet per minute. And, and if that takes 30 seconds, then I was probably going even faster and probably having even more fun. So it's very hard for your expectation not to be met, right? And that's one of the great things about it is that is you, you set yourself up for success, right? Because, you know, guaranteed. your expectation, you're guaranteed to go down, right? And, and <laughs> And, and you're guaranteed to you know, be successful at doing that every single yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. So um, I was going to mention something about the um, um, speed flying, landing, gear, flying Saboba. What was it? Darn, I had something funny I was going to say. So uh, we're, we're almost out of time, but I want to um, put a plug in. We've, we're going to have a, a couple... The next couple shows are going to be good. Let me get my calendar out. Uh, Jeff going. Oh, you're saying this one wasn't good, but the next this, one's going to be good? This one. This one. <laughs> have you seen the chat? Have you been paying attention to the chat? No, i just been watching uh, the video screen. They are loving this show. Uh, we are definitely going to have you back on if you're willing to come right back on. on. I, I got to tell like you, my paramotor, I got to tell you my flying over the Salton Sea on a paramotor uh, uh, adventure story. Yeah, I want to hear it. No, I want to hear it now. Oh, you want to hear it now? Yeah. What that happened? was it back in 2012 at the at the Salton Sea Fly-in. Uh, it was like first thing in the morning on Saturday morning, and you know I'd gotten there late Friday night. And I had a short flight, and then Saturday morning, um, you know I got up 7:30. Didn't even take my wallet, my keys, nothing. There was just like this much fuel in the tank, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go zip around for a little bit, get up in the air, turn around, and there's a just a wall of dust like this huge gust front of dust coming in because I didn't look at the bloody forecast. There was other people flying, so I just assumed you just fly, right? And and tried to get back to shore, and I couldn't get back to shore. It just started going higher and higher and higher, and then just started taking full collapses where I'm just like falling backwards with my motor on my back and just like, whoa, 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 trying to get this thing under control. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'll sit this out for a while. I pulled my mirror out, had a look at my gas tank, and I had like, yeah, like tiny little bit of gas left. So I turned around, I looked at the other side of the, the Salton Sea. It was like, oh, let's go over there and just ran. And because I had a bit of a tailwind, I was like full bar on the thing, full speed bar. And it was a, it was a fast wing. It was a high DHV, you know, high, high end B wing, 
And so I went pretty quick across the other side. Got to the other side, spiraled down, landed, got my wing in right before the gust front came through. And it was like, oh, cool. Didn't, didn't have my phone, didn't have my wallet, didn't have my anything with me. Um, and then I landed next to this little little shanty town on the other side of the Salton Sea called Bombay Beach City, uh, which is a bunch of old tweakers uh, and old like crazy alcoholics like living in like little trailer homes. And so this guy comes out, he's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, how's it going, man? And uh, yeah, can I hang out here for a bit? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, come in. You want a beer? I'm like, oh, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, but uh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> so I hung out with him and he was like, oh, yeah, my sister's coming out. My sister's coming out at lunchtime and she can give you a ride back. And I was like, great. And I was like, I, I promise I've got some money. I'll like pay for the gas or whatever. But no worries. So the sister arrives. She's got a Toyota Corolla, which is no problem. Mini plane, pack that thing in anything. Um, and, and then she's like, well, I came out to take him to, uh, to church. So we're going to the, the Baptist church around the corner. So you've got to come to church with us. So they took me around the corner to this like crazy black Baptist minister dude's place. And of course, the Baptists are all like, rah, rah, get me the, the organs out and they're playing the things and the music. And the, we had to sing songs and we did that for like an hour and then go back and okay, well, let's like drop me off. And it was like, oh, I don't have much gas in my car and there's no gas station in town. So the, the little corner store in town sold gas in like one gallon jerry cans and you went in and gave them $5 and you, you took the jerry can out and like poured that in your car and then, and then gave it back. And so eventually I got back at like, I don't know, six o'clock at night um, to, to the, you know, where the fly-in was and got out of the car and walked back and some guy was walking past and he's like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, oh man, that was the longest retrieve ever. And the guy just looked at me and just like, grabbed me and hugged me and then they pulled me into this room and they're like oh man we've had we've had the police helicopters searching for you all day uh, there's and i'd seen helicopters flying around but they were like um immigration you know dhs you know stuff and so i didn't think they were looking for me and when i was spiraling down the other side there was some cars on the freeway they called 911 because they were like oh we saw an airplane crash we saw an airplane spiral into the ground so those cats had called 911 the police had just shown up to my house and like knocked on the door and told my wife, oh, your husband's been missing in the Salton Sea for the last eight hours because someone on the shore said, oh, I saw him go into the water. And, and it was hilarious. And I just, had, I just had the greatest adventure ever, you know. I was like hanging out with this dude. He was like playing guitar, singing songs. And then we went to the Baptist church and, and then we had a whole adventure getting back. And it was great. It was really fun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So there you go, top that. <laughs> oh, and then, and then oh, it was that. It was the Saturday night of the fly-in. There was like three hundred people there from all over the world at the fly-in, and they like pulled me up on stage, handed me a mic, and they're like, "Oh, tell your story." Off you go. <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I even had the the little song sheet in my back pocket. And I pulled that out and showed them all just as evidence that I'd actually uh, actually done that. <laughs> Went to church, gave your life to Jesus. Went to church, it was all gave good. my life to Jesus, sang the. The, the, the Baptist music. It was great fun. Yeah, it was really fun. And that was one of the things I liked about, you know, that's one of the things I liked about cross-country flying and about those kind of adventures is, you know, you, you take off and you go and you just like, I don't know how I'm going to get back, but it's going to be a hell of an adventure. And that, that's one of the things I love about flying sometimes is you're out flying, even if you're, you're on your motor and like you run out of gas because you hit a headwind and someone saw you land and, you know, oh man, can I give you a ride? Can I help you out? And you just made their day, you know? And then that's, that's what's awesome about flying is like just having an adventure and just not knowing where you, how you're going to get back or where you're going to land sometimes. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I've got, I've got some stuff in my little pouch just in case, in case yep. you land out, you might, 
You might have one of those days where you get up and you want to feel adventurous. You better have a snack in there. <laughs> better have a twenty dollar bill and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, when you pulled out the lighter, I was like, yeah, you might need that. It's, it's hard to make a fire without that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. I love it. Well, I I want to uh, I want to say thanks, Rich. I really appreciate you you coming right. on. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of Rich. You can do it through the website, um, Saboba. Speedfly Saboba. Speedflysaboba.com. And yep. uh, there's a link in the description for that. And if you want to um, get more details or maybe you want to fly there, I encourage you to look up these guys, uh, Rich, David, or or Jessica. They all are there often. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And uh, I do want to put a plug in also next weekend. Hold on. Well, let me put a plug in. We're having an event on October the 26th. So if you're just, uh, you know, by wing, you're curious and you just want to come out and see what uh, speed flying is all about, just come out and watch it. By um, wing, you, you might be by wing, you're curious. You might not be ready to fully commit to that lifestyle yet. But. I <laughs> 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 love it. But that's the 26th, October 26th. Yeah, October 26th. Yeah, yeah. What are you guys calling it? I'm I'm writing it as a, a fly in at Saboba. Oh, I can't remember. It's there's a Facebook event for it. I can't remember what what we called it. Jessica came up with some cutesy name for it. Okay. <laughs> Here's All a right. good question for you, Rich. Yeah. Uh, on the chat, Mark Amundsen uh, said, "What is Rich's dream flight? What is the most popular dream flight that you've ever had?" Something that really stands out in your mind, like, oh, that was awesome. Um, a flight I did at Catalina Island was pretty impressive because I had to do logistics on the whole thing. And um, I sailed out there on a sailboat and uh, hiked up to the launch early in the morning and uh, launched off that and ended up sailing back on a sailboat that afternoon. So that was pretty interesting. It was a sail and hike and fly and sail. So that was, that was that was a pretty pretty cool adventure because it was like a two day adventure and it's like, yeah, wow. that was really fun. That is cool. Did did you do speed flying or regular yeah, speed gliding? Flying. Yep, speed flying. Wow. Yep. So they got a nice little thousand foot hill there in the isthmus. It, it, did you pioneer that spot or somebody else? I'd seen some videos from some other people, but they weren't launching from that same spot. They were launching a little bit closer, further down the hill. Um, so I don't know. I'm sure pe people have launched before. That's the Rich Kennedy launch. Nah, not really. I'm sure someone else has launched it before. Just got to stick a sign in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about I that. Always, I always go visit there uh, with Google Maps. You know, you can like, yeah. zoom in. I, I like yeah. to go visit Catalina every once in a while and scout the, the, the places to paraglide. Yeah, it's tricky. The wind picks up in the afternoons and the beaches are really small and, and it's there's not really much many spots to land. And, you know, the good thing about a speed wing is you're in and out quick, right? You're not like spending a bunch of time in the air drawing a lot of attention to yourself. So even if you're not supposed to be there, you're only not there for just a very short period of time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Get down. Yep. Uh, there's a swoop competition. This is going to be in downtown San Diego. This is going to be September 14th and 15th. They have uh, their advertising on Facebook. I keep seeing it pop up. Uh, I encourage you to go check that out. That's going to be downtown. I'll probably be down there as long as I don't have a bunch of other stuff hanging over my head. Um, and uh, our next show is going to be Thursday, the September 6th with Jeff Goen. 
um, as long as that uh, everything works out with that for him and uh, for me, we're going to do that show. Um, I'm, I may be taking, there's going to be a day somewhere in here, as soon as I find out when I get my keys to my new house, where I'm going to have to be working and I won't be able to do the show. I will keep everyone posted on what's happening with that on paraglidingtalk.com. Uh, do go check out the website. Uh, do support the show if you can financially. Um, the um, Yeah. Um, Rich, I really appreciate you coming on. We'll have a short after show. I really appreciate everybody who's been supporting the show. Another great, fun uh, learning experience. I learned a bunch of stuff about speed flying today that I had did not know. And I'm very interested in seeing the future with the uh, device that you've invented there. I really like that idea of knowing a more detailed, uh, that is so critical in our sport. The, um, those details sometimes are life and death. And, and again, uh, something I say about our show, some of the things that you're going to learn on here could save your life. And for the price of a cup of coffee at Starbucks, uh, you're supporting something that can help a lot of people. So I encourage you go to the, uh, Check out the uh, description and you can link the uh, Patreon and support the show there and then support the show. Uh, if you don't want to do it there, you can do it on Patreon too or uh, uh, PayPal too. And so thanks again. Really appreciate everybody. Sean, thank you for what you do. I know uh, PPG Flyer, he's uh, uh, or Nebraska, Nebraska PPG. He's, uh, he was on the show this whole time and uh, just muted himself and put the, uh, the picture on there. Just to let everybody know that he was here the whole time. And so... I really appreciate uh, everybody's support. Neil, uh, I know you're not there, but thanks, man. Appreciate what you do. Resurgence PPG, don't forget about them. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. If I don't see you in the air, I'll see you on the air. Have a great day and talk to you soon. Smash that like button. <laughs> Is it wrong if I smash the like button? Is it on no. Own thing? no. Woody, Woody does it all the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mark does too. He's like, ah, yeah, I wrecked into that tree, but I like it. I'm going to hit the like button. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys.